I'm Mary Angela Abeo, and this is the Face to Faces podcast, a conversation series that provides a platform focusing on the LGBTQ and POC communities and their allies in the areas of activism, politics, mental health, arts and entertainment, and community, where we discuss the human experience in our ever-changing world. The goal of this space is to remind you that while you may have moments where you feel isolated or alone, there is always an incredible community of people here that is safe. We all connect to people at our deepest pains and our greatest joys. And in this space, we're here for those moments and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here. Take a seat next to me. It's always open. Now, let's lean in. Okay, this will just that'll just be my marker for it. Um, okay, so how the sessions go? <laughs> um, I will tell you a little bit about my story. You know some of it. You don't know all of it. Um, and that is just okay. a way of making sure the other person knows that they can share, even though I know you already know this, it's just how the sessions go. Um, because there's a, there's a level of connection when two people are talking about something like this, that we connect to each other at the similarities within our trauma. It's just how it works. I, it's science. I don't know how to explain it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so I'm sure between my Ted talk and between how many times we've talked, you know, the story of my brother, but you probably don't know the details. Um, but my attempt was at 17. I was sexually assaulted by two football players at high school in the school bathroom. And, um, I was actually hazed as well. What a lot of people don't know is before hazing was illegal. That was back in my years in the X gen years. So I was duct taped to a telephone pole outside, um, like full, like just, I couldn't get out. I have, people had to get me out. Um, and so that was earlier that day, members of the football team. And then, um, later after gym class is when I was assaulted in the, and raped in the school bathroom. And so I was, I was a virgin. I was, um, Catholic. I was told that sex had to happen with a a significant other, a male, and that if I had sex before that, I'd be a horrible slut. So this act made me think I'm a horrible slut. What happened? What did I do? Um, and I went to the teacher's, the principal's office. The principal was not there, but his assistant principal was, who was a female. So I actually felt better about it. Went into her office, shut the door, was terrified. I, I was so torn because I was this young Italian girl who looked older than she was and was more developed than she should be at that age. And um, I love to flirt. I was Italian. I wanted boys to like me, but I was also not, and I wanted girls to like, I liked all genders at this age already. And I was not allowed to wear makeup. I had to wear clothes from the thrift store. All of those things, my parents, my mom specifically hoped would dumb me down so that I didn't become a slut. That was basically, mm -hmm. you wear makeup, you're going to get pregnant. Like, I just didn't understand how it all worked. I was like, what? So I was definitely at that point where I was like, oh God, something horrible just happened. And my family is not going to ever forgive me. And so when I went to the principal's office, she mm -hmm. said, she shut the door and she said, um, we need to be sure that this is how you want to handle it. And I was like, what? And she said, our football team is in the playoffs right now. So it's really not a good time to get these boys in trouble. Maybe you think about what really happened. Think about like how you were dressed, maybe what you were saying to them. And think about if this is something you really want to go through with. And maybe in six months when the season's over and when things have cooled off, maybe your mind will change. And, you know, somebody that was raised in a household with extreme guilt, with Catholic you know, viewpoints, it immediately flipped the script for me. And I kind of went, Oh my God. I remember saying within tears to myself on, on the walk home, I almost ruined these boys lives. That's how fucked up she had twisted my head. And I was like, oh, look at what I almost did. I'm so glad I didn't ruin their lives. 
lupus. And then I mm-hmm. went home. My mom has epilepsy and lupus and she keeps um, extra pills in her purses in case she gets like sick or has a seizure or whatever. And so she has Dilaudid. She had tons of stuff in her purse. And I took everything I could find. I was like, I can't, the shame, I don't want to face anybody. I don't know what, I didn't know what any of the medication would do. I just knew I had to take everything I could. Um, the next thing I remember is just being in a pile of puke on my bedroom door and my be- uh, my bedroom floor. And my sister and brother were sitting next to me and they had found me. My brother was standing behind my sister and just kind of was looking at me, staring in shock. And my sister was on the phone with 911 and was trying to get an ambulance there. And um, you know, I think that I've said this in my TED talk that I think that that's the moment that I should have, things should have changed. I should have had a conversation because my brother didn't know what happened. He was just in fear. My parents ended up, I was in the hospital for two days. My parents ended up telling people that I was just sick. Um, it was never discussed, never, ever in our household. I should have had a conversation with my brother. So, you know, fast forward 15 years and he is in that dark place he doesn't have anyone to talk to. He doesn't think anybody in the family will understand. So he takes his own life. He attempts and he completes. And do I think I could have saved him with that conversation? That's not something I, I entertain anymore because I know that my brother's problem was bigger than a conversation. But do I think that could open a door mm-hmm. to him thinking he wasn't alone? Absolutely. Um, and so you know, after right. he died, it was. And so what happened was my brother was li- living in Atlanta. He was working for AmeriCorps and he had had tons of red flags before this that had kind of unraveled, but he was also a Yale grad. He also loved hallucinogens. He loved to be extreme. And so I did a lot of questioning of these red flags saying, maybe he's just eccentric. Maybe he's just really smart. Mm -hmm. None of us had graduated college. So he was like the first one, not only graduate college, but Yale. So we were like, maybe this is how smart people talk. Like we just didn't know. We were like, is this crazy? Is this not crazy? And so um, on my dad's side, his first cousin had schizophrenia. And so that was in the family. And I was like, I started toying with it in my head. And I was like, there's something going on here with this kid. Like, and the first time I really had a red flag was when um, my family members and I were all sharing stories of what was happening with him. And we were like, why have we not shared these stories in the past? And my aunt, he, my brother had a beautiful antique guitar that was, gifted from my grandfather, Italian grandfather in his will, rounded back, acoustic, Italian, beautiful wood, priceless. And he would carry it in this case everywhere. And um, he broke it. He shattered it. Not only did he shatter it, he rebuilt with all of the pieces, a piece of armor that he would wear around the city. This was a different level. Like, and so when my aunt told me that, I was like, did you not think anything of this? Did you not think to tell anyone that this was, there was a problem? Right. And he would walk around saying, my grandfather's now protecting me officially. And I was like, bro, there is something wrong. There is something wrong. So is it that it was at that point that things switched in my head and I was like, okay. There's a problem. We need to deal with it. And then, you know, schizophrenics are pretty known for being able to read. They're very smart. They're usually geniuses. And so they're known to switch a situation and be able to switch it off and on. And so he would go on trips and come back and be fine. And we were like, maybe he was a phase. Like, what's happening? So he um, went to Peru, had a wonderful time. Turns out, I think there was an ayahuasca situation that happened there, which I was like, Nobody should ever let him do that. Um, and uh, right. then he came home and got a job in Atlanta at a nonprofit and got a girlfriend. And I was he was sending pictures and I was like, I thought you were gay, but, you know, I'm fluid, too. So I can't even judge that. And um, then he emailed us in June, emailed my sister and I. And he, you know, every time my brother would talk to us, it was very, you know, he loved zeitgeist. He loved conspiracy theories. Every time you talk to him, you had to be in it for at least 30 minutes because that's how much time it was going to take you. Um, and he was very judgmental. He would judge our wealth. He would judge the time. He would judge the way we talked to homeless people. Like he was 
he was serious. And so he emailed us and said, just to me and my sister, I'm so excited to see you in a week because he was coming. He had his ticket bought. He goes, my bags are packed. Um, and yeah, I love you guys. And I'm really excited. And that was it. And it was really short. And my sister texted me. I was on the way to the airport and she texted me and said, that, that was strangely normal. And I was like, let's not fuck with it. Like, yay. Um, I'm getting on an airplane. I'll right. see you on the other side. And I, and this part, a lot of people know I flew through Atlanta and I had a six hour, three hour layover that turned into six. And my friend looked at, right at me and said, you should call your brother. He doesn't even live far from the airport. Maybe they'll let him come in and he can like have coffee and whatever. And I looked right at her. I mean, I didn't even skip a beat. And I said, I am going on vacation. I do not want a conversation like that before. I'm just not doing this right now. And he killed himself six hours later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something I dealt with in therapy for a long time. But basically, the they think something in his email set him off. He was just writing emails. He was... He went into work to use their Wi-Fi because he didn't have Wi-Fi at home. So he was in the office by himself on a Sunday, mm -hmm. downtown Atlanta, office building, and something set him off. There was paint and construction happening in the hallway, and he they had left their tools in their paint. And he had brought them into the office, splattered paint on the walls, written things on the walls with his fingers, punched all the computer screens in just tore up the entire place and then carefully wrapped his arms and his face and his head in his clothing. So he didn't get hurt and jumped out of the window of the 13th floor. So almost like he was trying to protect himself. Like he thought he was going to make the jump happen. Um, mm -hmm. He of course died instantly. Um, but the coroner who knew nothing about his level of love for superheroes said it looked like he was trying to fly if I wouldn't know better. And I was like, hmm, yep, he was definitely trying to fly. So um, I did an mm -hmm. episode with my brother's best friend recently and I asked Scott flat out, I said, do you think he was in the right mind? Do you think he knew what he was doing? Or do you think this was not really a suicide? Do you think he just jumped out the window thinking he was trying to fly? And Scott goes, no, I was with your brother when he did, when he got dark. Um, he, he absolutely knew what he was doing. And, you know, that was enough for me to go. Yeah, I do. I think so too. But, you know, I think that's where I kind of started to spiral a little bit. And, um, that's how this project was born was me just needing a space to talk about it one day. And then it exploded. And then a month later I get an email from somebody named Eton. And I was like, what? And so that's where we are now. But, um, yeah, my story is, I mean, there's a lot of details I didn't share, but, um, I like to tell people in this process that my, my inbox is open. Like you can ask any questions about my story that you want. Um, but it's mainly just to know that there's nothing off limits in my story. So if you have any questions, you can. Yeah, it's always, uh, I always think about it like a, um, Gosh, I always have an analogy for everything. I can never just say what it is. But for me, it's like, you know, any movie that comes out, you know, there's a version that's released to the public and then there's like a director's cut. And, you know, on almost any subject you'd want to talk about, everyone has a director's cut. And I kind of approach every interaction with, I'll take whatever you're going to give me on the surface, but know that I know this isn't everything. So, you know, save the horse shit because I want the director's cut. Um, so, you know, walking into these spaces, I always, you know, and, you know, friends of mine that I've shared, you know, that I've been trying to, you know, be a part of the project from the beginning. And, um, they're like, why would you want to talk about this? You know, I thought you're happy to leave this in, you know, in the past. And I was like, you know, for a lot of people, yeah, they are happy to bury it. And I said, but that doesn't help the next person. Um, you know, and I always wanted to help the next person. Um, so finding you, however, you know, like you said earlier, the things that are supposed to happen usually do. Um, so finding you, I don't feel like was, you know, coincidence, especially the time where I did, that was before school. Um, and it kind of, it followed along the flow as, you know, once I made my mind up about something, everything that followed, you know, in large increments of time, they all flow within the same pattern. So, you know, I met you and then shortly after that, um, you know, I started working at the school. Then shortly after that, you know, I was able to put a little piece of my family, you know, kind of fix that machine. And, you know, it's now bearing fruit. So 
watching all the pieces slowly fall into place like Voltron. It's like, you know, it takes an hour for Voltron to get fully formed. Um, but the pieces come one at a time from, you know, every stretch of the universe. And it's great to, um, to have a space where, you know, there are no, there are no boundaries. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, when it comes to, you know, suicide and mental health, people are so quick, you know, not to throw up boundaries, you know, for others, but, you know, I look at everything as a, you know, a self-defense uh, protection mechanism. You know, so many of our behaviors are meant to protect us from ourselves. And when you can recognize that, um, it does help you numb some of the, you know, some of the pain that doesn't go away, but it allows you to numb it long enough that you can maybe save someone else from it or help someone else carry it. And that's kind of always, you know, the goal, at least in my opinion, or my goal. Right. Well, you've always been, um, very open with me about, um, your ups and downs and your darkness. First of all, a hundred million points for using a Voltron like Transformers reference. I'm just saying <laughs> my brother is peeking through, letting me know to tell you that that was dope and that he really appreciated it. Just saying. Just saying. Um, because I appreciate that too. I'm right, exactly. We both are around the same age, so we get it with that generation. Um, so, oh yeah. I'll, I mean, I what what year were you born? Can I ask you that? Eighty seven. Oh, okay. So you're around. You would be around my brother's age. So there we go. There we go. Yeah. He's, he's, he would, so a lot. He would of, I remember when you were first telling me. Thought. When you were first telling me the story, I was like, "Your brother knows his comics." You know, when you were telling me some of the, you know, his art projects, I'm just like, oh. Oh, I can't believe it. You know, another fan who loves it, you know, like I do. So it's always, you know, a, a great space to when you can bond over, you know, what's supposed to be something that brings you joy. You know, it can also bring you pain, but, you know, it doesn't have to stay pain. You can transform it into joy again. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I think it was somebody that recently said, you can sit in that pain, just don't live there. And it's fine. Well, let's sit and talk about where Absolutely. you were that day that you emailed me because, you know, your email was funny, but also dark and sad about your, your struggle with suicidal ideation and, and where that, where you were that day when you wanted to email me and how nervous you were and what, what you were excited to share. Well, I think that was kind of, uh, on the, on the upswing of my, like my rock bottom era where you know, the place I was working you know, so far from where I live that I made almost no money. You know, I made just enough money to cover, you know, a bill or two and make it back right. to work. Um, and, and I was just kind of like, this isn't what I meant to do. You know, it was very much a, uh, a, where you're looking for an exit in the maze and you want to stop, but you're like, me stopping isn't going to get me out of the maze. Um, so when I was looking for you, you know, much like, you know, Neo, I wasn't looking for, you know, Morpheus. I'm looking for an answer to a question. Mm -hmm. And the question was, you know, how do I find a way to give? Because, you know, I've spent, you know, my entire life taking. Obviously, that hasn't worked. You know, it's led me to, you know, everything I don't want. Um, you know, that's obviously, you know, going the opposite way is probably going to yield different results. How do I give more? You know, I prayed and I meditated and, you know, I spent a lot of time alone and silence and you know, trying to figure out how can I do it? Because I hate people. You know, I hate <laughs> Welcome people. Welcome to my life. Yes. I, right. <laughs> you know, I hate people. I hate to talk. I'm not social. But, you know, all of the gifts that I've been given, you know, they, they make me the perfect leader, the perfect counselor, the perfect mentor. Um, and I hadn't yet found a way to utilize all those mm -hmm. things. Um, so, you know, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't ever thought about working at a school at that time. I was still delivering flowers, you know, and one of the, around the time that I found you was shortly after mother's day. And it was the, like one of the worst mm -hmm. days, you know, since, you know, 2016 was kind of like 2016 was the year of my last attempt. Like, and right after my attempt, my mother died. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, like, like you, I carried a certain level of guilt where, you know, I must've been out of the hospital, uh, a little less than a month. And then my mother was gone. So, you know, to, and she was mad, she was mad at me because, you know, I didn't, 
signed the, the waivers to allow her to contact me or to know what's going on really? when I was in the hospital. So she was met because my mother had lupus. So, you know, I know that, you know, the enemy of lupus is stress. And the last thing you want to hear is, you know, bad news about your son. You know, it wasn't like it was a medical reason I was in the hospital. Right. Like, you know, I had a broken bone or something, you know, there is no quick fix and, you know, a pill to take care of this. Um, and she understood that. So she was looking, you know, as all mothers do, as all parents do, you know, for a way to help. And I denied her a way to, you know, access to the information that would allow her to help. So when I got out of the hospital, um, you know, I sat down and had lunch with her and my father. It was, you know, one of the few times we were all together and she was upset and, you know, that I didn't let her in. And, you know, my father, he's he's a crazy person. But, you know, every now and then he has something profound to say. And, um, you know, that was one of those days. And he kind of told my mother, you know, we didn't, you know, my mother's, you know, old school. You know, she's from that generation that says they wrote the book on old school. And, you know, her thing is, you know, you know, you got to you got to pray. You got to, you know, pray until something happens, you know, push. And I was like, Ma, like, I don't want to hear that. You know, I went to Catholic school. Like, you know, I, I know about prayer. You know, I've, I've actually had to study the Bible to get by. Like, you know, this isn't new to me. And I'm telling you that, you know, that wasn't the way for me at that time. And she's just getting so upset, so upset. And my dad's like, we didn't teach him to rely on that. You're yelling at him looking for a specific answer that he's not going to give you because we didn't teach him that. And that that kind of like, you know, that was the one statement that got through to her. So, you know, we got past it. You know, so that was, you know, let's say that's week one. Week two, I didn't talk to her. Week three, she called me and asked me to take her to the store. And she, you know, she would always joke that it's not going to take all day this time. And every time it would. That particular day, she was right. It only took like 30 minutes. Um, and we got back home and she hugged me so tight. And I'm a kind of intuitive person. And in the moment, I was like, why is she hugging me so tight? She's not going to see me again. And I recognized that in the hug. And I was like, that's weird, you know. And so the next morning, um, I'm, in the, I'm in the house and I'm making breakfast with my daughter. And she says, dad, I want to call grandma. And I was like, you know, I'm almost positive. She's not up right now. It's seven in the morning. You know, my mom was, you know, retired. She didn't wake up till, you know, 10, 30, 11, 12, or whenever she felt like it, you know? So I was like, you know, sweetie, grandma's not up yet, but we can call her. So she called um, at nine and left her a voicemail. And about six, you know, I got the call that she was mm-hmm. gone. Um, so it was right after that, like right after that, um, that was one of those months where everything that could go, go go wrong did go wrong. And, you know, so that year I had to come to, you know, some harsh realizations and, you know, learning that, you know, this is, I have to do everything different from this point going forward. But, you know, it took so much time to figure out how to do that. Um, so when I found you, I was like, oh, this is an outlet. Like, this is like the only crack of light you know, in, in my you know surroundings that is going to maybe, you know, lead to what I'm trying to do. And so when I found you, it was, it was a place of relief, but also like, oof, I have no freaking idea what I'm doing. You know, this isn't something that I do. I'm not social. You know, I don't, I don't reach out. I don't talk to people. Um, so, you know, at that time to reach out to a stranger with something so sensitive um, and trying to find the right words, that pressure was like unreal, unreal, because it's something that if you get rejected, it's like, you know, you might as well pour the whole five pine bag of salt into the wound, you know? And it was just like, I wasn't prepared to handle that level of rejection, but it's also like, but are you prepared to embrace your destiny? Like, you know, which one of those things are you more prepared for? And I was like, oh, that's a big statement. I know what I have to do. Yeah. And so, you know, all the things I tell other people I had to, you know, listen to in that moment. And um, it was rough, but I'm glad that I uh, I finally did hit I'm sin. glad you did too after seven drafts. Like, I didn't know that you had that many drafts, but it was, it was the quirkiest. If you were a- attempting to stand out, you did it. Like, I read it and went... Well, this is not something I've read every day. I'm definitely replying to this person immediately. <laughs> um, and I think I remember replying to you saying, your email, what, like, it caught me off guard. It, like, And I love that. I love it when people are scared, but your fear does not outweigh 
your determination and um I would love to back up, not love, but if you feel comfortable backing up and telling me about your attempt, I you've never shared that with me. Okay, so 2016 was the fourth one. The first well, one. Well, no, this is the thing. This um, is why I want to hear the fourth one, because I want to save the first one for your actual photos. Okay, okay. Uh, the fourth one. The fourth one... Um, the fourth one, it just, it. looking back at it, it's like one of those things where it's not supposed to happen. It's one of those things that's so lucky that it's not real, that so many things went wrong. Um, you know, like I'm just, just coming off the death of my mother. And then I, have, I think I was working for myself at the time and I was trying this, you know, upstart landscaping business, you know, try to strike out on my own. Um, and the first contract I got to do a lady's yard halfway through the contract she like cancels like i think still to this day she owes me like 350 dollars <laughs> um <laughs> um she canceled so then you know i don't have the money for my car note and you know i also got put out um so i'm i'm homeless i just lost oh. the contract um i got a 900 car note and you know my biggest fan just uh walked out of the stadium mm -hmm. and it's just like Oh shit. Like I'm over this. And you know, it was for me it's it was kind of a I remember it because it was it was such a great day. Like the weather outside was awesome. And I was walking across the street, um, you know, to the truck and I'm waiting across I'm anxious to get to the truck because I just want to drive. You know, I just wanna I just wanna go. I just wanna go. Like, you know, I I just had the phone call that she canceled the contract and I'm just like in my mind, you know, anytime I'm at work or there's you know, as I call it, there's money on the table. You know, my first instinct is to be professional. It's like, don't lose your professionalism. So, you know, I didn't want to, you know, go off on this lady over the phone. Um, so I just got the phone. I'm just like, let me get to the truck, man. I'm just going to drive and go pick up my tools from over there. And um, I'm waiting across the street and, you know, cars are coming. And I'm just like, I could easily just, you know, step in front of one of these cars. Mm. And I was like, hmm, I've been in this space. You know, you're just like, this isn't okay. This is bad. And that was kind of, you know, I kind of was able to keep myself on the on the curb and not, you know, step out into the flow of traffic. But as I crossed the street, I was like, all right, I have about 10 minutes. Um, and I, you know, I kind of joke about it with, you know, the few people who I've met along the way that I have shared this story with. Um, I was like, you know, when you're sick and like your stomach's upset or like you have diarrhea or something, your body will give you a warning. It's like, hey, you got about 10 seconds to make it to the toilet. Or we're going to have a, a shitty situation on our hands, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm having mental diarrhea as I'm crossing the street. Like, all right, look, we have about 10 minutes before we're absolutely going to lose our shit. Mm. Like, so you have like this next nine minutes to make some really smart decisions or some really poor ones. Um, so I thought about it and I was like, what do I need? You know, like, what do I need right now? You know, right now I need help. I need help. And who who can help me you know not you know not the family that just put me out i can't you know can't ask them um my friends wouldn't understand can't ask them you know so i'm scrambling um so i'm you know i'm looking at my phone and um i don't i don't know what drew me to look up the like the word i was a what word was it? i think it was suicide i think i looked up the definition and there was a little, you know, how you see those ads in between the article of like what you want, just a mm -hmm. tiny little ad. And it said, um, it said, call if you need help. Mm. And so the last person I think I had called before I got the call from that client was my cousin. And I was like, oh, of course I should call my cousin. You know, she actually works in mental health, um, just, you know, with children. So I called my cousin and right before I called her, I hung up and I looked up what words I needed to say. I went back to that ad and it has like a questionnaire. It's like, are you feeling this? Are you feeling this? Are you feeling this? Are you feeling this? And it's like, you know, if you answer yes to any of these questions, call this number. And so I think the first question was, are you a danger to yourself or others? And I was like, ooh, that'll do it. So I called my cousin because at this moment, you know, I'm keeping that mental clock going. I was like, ooh, I got three or four minutes. Um, so I, I get, uh, you know, I get, you know, my little, I think I, I grabbed my lighter and my last little Capone, you know, cigar out of my truck. And I go back in the house. I'm sitting up front and I call my cousin. I'm like, hey, cuz, 
are you at work? She's like, yeah. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm a danger to myself, you know, or someone else right now. I need you. I need your help. And she's like, where are you at home? Cause she had, you know, kind of taken me in and I'd been there for a couple of days and I was like, yeah, I'm at home. She was like, stay there. I'll be right there. And she came and she picked me up and she didn't ask me a lot of questions. You know, we kind of, uh, we're sitting in the hospital and we're filling out the paperwork and she's saying everything, you know, this is kind of her field of expertise. So, you know, she was the perfect person to call and we're sitting there. It's ironic now that, you know, we're at the hospital, we're sitting in the emergency room and we got our, we've got our, our surgical masks on, like we have to wear, you know, every day now we're sitting there in our, we're sitting there in our mask. And I was like, cause you have your phone. She's like, yeah. And I was like, let's take a picture. She's like, what? I was like, I was, she was like, what do you mean? I was like, let's take a suicide selfie. And she was like, you're a strange person. I was like, I want to remember this moment. <laughs> so um, we took a suicide selfie. Before they admitted me, I took a picture with my cousin in the ER in our, in our medical mass. And um, she, what she said was before she, you know, she left, she hugged me and she said, you know, you're really brave. She was like, a lot of people don't know how to do what you just did. Um, you know, I'm glad that you called me. And, you know, then I started that whole, I think I was there for seven days. And in my mind, you know, when I started this process, I was like, ah, you know, because as she's on her way to pick me up from work, I'm just kind of reading um, just some general information about how they usually handle this process. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be in here, you know, just a quick 48 hour hold. You know, I'll talk to somebody um, and I'll, you know, get back on the right track. So (laughs) they take me in this kind of like was essentially a holding tank. Um, you know, with two other individuals and they're like, you know, we don't have a room for you yet. You got to hang out here until, you know, we can get you situated. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I'm thinking, you know, I just have to get through this moment and I'll be up there. You know, I worked, I worked at, you know, a couple. I don't understand. (laughs) Well, that was weird. Um, (laughs) I didn't know anyone was asking you to understand something. (laughs) You're just listening. That's the government. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's Skynet. Mm-hmm. That's Skynet. Yep. <laughs> I have to watch the Terminator later. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, I was just kind of sitting there thinking, you know, it's, this isn't going to take that long. But I ended up being in there like maybe like 11 hours. Um, and, you know, I'd never been in that environment before. You don't. And there's no one in there. They kind of lock you in there with, you know, these two other people. And you don't know why they're in there. They're not giving you any information. There's nothing separating you. You're just in this like holding tank with two other strangers. And one of the guys, I'll never forget him. He had, I don't know. I still to this day don't know, you know, why he was in there, what's going on. But he, he had the most amazing, amazing singing voice I'd ever heard in my life. Like one of those ones that like gives you chills. Like in the mm-hmm. first few notes where like, you know, if you're in a crowd and you hear someone singing and you got to like, who's that? Who's, yeah. who's that coming out of? Like you got He had a voice like that, but he could only sing either the first part of a verse or like the last part of the chorus. It was never the whole chorus or the whole verse. He only had that much. And it was just like, it was like listening to a car trying to start that didn't have, you know, gas. You know, it's just like you're you're ready to you're ready. You're, you keep ready to, you know, to go. And it just you never got there. And then you start to listen to him, like argue with like the nurses. I'm just like, OK, so this is not what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that this would be a very smooth kind of seamless process, you know, that I was just going to, you know, I just I thought I needed a little bit of help. But I was like, no, this is different. Um, so, you know, that whole experience of being up there it kind of puts in perspective that, oh my goodness, like there's so many different versions of mental health and so many different, you know, different things that people struggle with. Um, like, you know, they, you know, you share a room with someone, the person I share a room with, he was there um, for an addiction that he was fighting. Mm. And, you know, I've had my own struggles with addiction. So I sat there, you know, for the, at least the first two days, just kind of I was like, all right, so I'm not going to talk to anyone while I'm in here. That's my mindset. I was like, but I got to talk to him because I got to sleep in the same room with this guy. You know, you right, got to develop some right, type of baseline right, trust. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, getting to know him and, you know, hearing his struggles with addiction, it kind of helped me understand that, you know, there is a level or a place where people do give up hope. And he had given up hope. 
and he was only in there trying to beat the heat, you know, because that was in the summer. Mm. And he, you know, he knew all the right things to do and say. He knew the process already. He was kind of telling me, hey, this is the routine. You know, he had been here before. Right. Um, so it kind of, in that seven days, I learned a lot. Um, and it was a... Which not everybody does. It so was, I think that's a big deal that you took it and learned from it. Well, once you kind of get over the the realization that I can, I'm like, you have to relinquish control. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's very regimented. It's the closest I've never been uh, locked up, but that's the closest thing I'd equate it to. I imagine because you don't have a say when you wake up, you don't have a say when you eat, you can't go anywhere. Um, you can only use the phone within a certain amount of hours, you know? So it was a very, uh, enlightening moment. Once you can get over that, uh, that first night, it's like, of course, you're not going to sleep. You're terrified, you know? Last night, you know, yeah, I was homeless, but I was in control of where I was homeless, you know, where in the city I was, um, you know, am I going to sleep in my truck? You know, where am I, you know, you had options to have those options, you know, taken from you in a situation where you feel like I voluntarily gave them up, but my understanding of it was incorrect. And like, now I'm having things taken from me and it's just like, oof, this is going to be an adjustment. You know, it took me, you know, a day, day and a half to really make that adjustment, um, and then you're also, you know, you're observing everything because, you know, everyone around you, quote unquote, is crazy. Right. But then you can't, you're just like, but I'm here with them. Like, how crazy am I? And it's a space where I really had to, you know, you have to make a lot of decisions. Like, am I going to learn? Am I going to just like shut all the way down where, you know, I'm kind of stoic where unless I'm talking to, you know, your, the psychiatrist, I'm not talking to anyone. Um, you know, I have a lot of important decisions to make, you know, who to call when you do have phone time. Um when you do make those calls, what's important to, to talk about? Like what questions, you know, you go into those phone calls, you know, kind of knowing what to expect. And then someone asks you something that you're like, huh, I've had all day to think about making this phone call. I didn't expect that question, mm-hmm. you know? So, hmm. um, you know, my, my cousin came to visit me, my, you know, my same white Italian friend came to visit me. Um, and he's just like, you know, he was sitting there beside me like, bro, like, it's amazing to talk to you and see you in this, in this setting and see your demeanor. Like, I don't even understand how you're maintaining this level of like, you know, chill right now. And I was like, it's not about being chill. I'm trying to learn something. Like I'm in actually engaged in what's happening. Um, you know, they kind of have these, a structured day where you have classes that, you know, they give you options in the classes. Um, but just going in there and listening to other people is also interesting. Um, so it's, it was a unique environment that, you know, I hate that it took, you know, coming there to learn some of the things that I learned. But, you know, how can you regret, you know, that type of, you know, education? It's like paying for an Ivy League education. It's like, yo, I'm at Yale. Like, this is awesome. Right. You know, that was kind of my perspective. Like, you know, that probably sounds crazy in and of itself. But it's like, you know, I'm a big Batman fan, as you know. Yeah. So it's like, you know, imagine getting to go to, go to Arkham. You know, imagine with those, you know, having those breakfasts. Uh, you know, mornings are like, and that being the conversation you're having is like listening to, you know, things that to the average person, you're never going to get to hear those kinds of things right. talked about so openly. Um, so it was a unique environment for sure. You Have you ever thought about writing that whole experience down? Ironically, uh, the uh, chorus of people telling me to write a book, you know, grows louder by the day. Um, and that's definitely going to be one of those good chapters for sure. Because yeah, I, mean, uh, I think, you know, I I am going to write a book and that's going to be one that I have to really, um, it's funny to say that because one of the things I did in there that I haven't done since, cause I haven't needed to is I would sit there with, you know, a legal pad and literally write out every single thought, like every single thought. I think I'm writing it on the paper of everything I see, everything I'm feeling as I'm seeing it. Um, you know, you can fill up half a page with, Oh my goodness, it's cold in here. Look at my skin. It looks terrible. I'm not getting enough sunlight. Like, you know, just kind of writing every thought, um, you know, for hours. Um, That was just one day I found that as a way to manage, um, you know, just the overwhelming level, you know, amount of thoughts. And so writing that chapter in the book is going to be pretty intense, but it's uh, going to be in there. Well, let me tell you, let me like tell you why I said that, because I'm excited. I want you to write a book and I want to read your book, but in context of faces of fortitude, I get so many, and I say so many, meaning it's been more than 10, 15 
messages from people that struggle mentally that are considering checking themselves into a hospital, but are scared and will continuously ask me if I know what they will endure or expect. And I don't. And so I'm always kind of like, oh, let me see if I can find an article for you or something. Firsthand experience, not only of this is what you're going to expect. Like, don't take shit with you. Don't like make sure there's nothing that you're expecting to do. Don't have any expectations, like things like that. But the fact that you were able to take it and go, I'm going to actually use this time and try to learn from it. I don't think, I think everybody is so sitting in that fear of, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I think that it would be so helpful to so many people that are considering it because they realize they need it to know that experience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I hadn't thought about that. Um, Honestly. Just think about it. it, I want you to percolate on it. That's all. Because I get that question a lot. And a lot of the times I'll just be like, Google's your friend because I don't know. And I try to help people. But I think that firsthand experience is so... I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that because I can't imagine the strength that it took for you to be able to learn from all of that and to be able to be present with yourself in a time when most people can't be present with themselves. That's well, it, the thing, the thing about it that kind of made it easy. And I, this is kind of, you learn so much in the first few hours, the first day, the way they have the window set up in your room is there's a screen that limits the amount of sun that comes in. And when I first realized that I couldn't experience like the bright light of like the morning. And I was like, huh, this is change. This is what people who struggle with light dependency go through. This is their withdrawal where they're inside for too many hours. And I was like, Oh, I get it now. Hmm. I wonder what else I can learn in here. You know, that kind of was the first like light bulb that came on because it did affect me. Um, because no matter what room I went to and looked out the window to try to, you know, steal back some sense of normalcy by just seeing a car go by in the street, I couldn't effectively see it because of the screen. You can't effectively see out of the windows. And that was such a unique experience. Um, just like I said, within the first 10 hours of, you know, being in that environment, like, oh, I didn't think that'd be something I would miss. Why do they do that? Do they know how harmful that is? I mean, light in general is... That doesn't make sense. I don't know. Um, I don't think I asked anyone. It was just kind of like, because for me, I'm always, you know, paying attention to little things, like the little things. So what stood out to me was that the shadow on the floor um, wasn't where it should have been based on that time of day. Um, So I was just like, there should be a shadow on the floor here Um, because the room is so barren. You know, you don't know what to focus on to distract your mind. You know, like when you get a tattoo, they tell you to focus on something to distract yourself from the pain. So, you know, I always, I'm always able to find a painting on the wall or, you know, a tile pattern on the wall or the floor to focus on. So I'm trying to find something in the room to focus on to numb this pain of being in this environment and giving up control, um, you know, involuntarily. So when I noticed that the shadow and the lighting was off, I was like, huh, that's strange. And it kind of, you know, it started to shift my mind to think about my environment in a different way. Um, and I, as you know, that week went on, I spent less and less time in my room, you know, refusing to be, you know, a part of what was going on. Cause that first day and a half, anytime I didn't have to be in a group, I wasn't, you know, I just sit in my room, um, you know, and just kind of sit in silence and stew and, you know, try to work your way through, you know, what was going on. Cause like I said, I thought it'd be, you know, just, you know, 48 hours and then I'm back out on the street um, and then you kind of finally have your day with, you know, the psychiatrist or your moment. And he's like very nonchalant. Like, yeah, we're just going to keep you and see how it goes. Uh, he's like, eh, maybe Wednesday. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you know, and so I kind of gave up that feeling of, you know, it's, it's kind of like how you see it in those shows where the prisoner gets his, his appeal hearing. And he's like, you know, excited that day he wakes up and he thinks, you know, this is going to you know be where I turn and I get to leave out of here. And then they're like, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see where you are in six months. You know, that happens to you a couple of times throughout the week. And you're just like, all right, the second time it happens, you're just like, I'll just be here till I'm here. And you kind of have to once you fully give up control, you start to move into different spaces of understanding and, you know, new levels of 
I guess, peace, you know, start to come where it's the furthest thing from euphoric. But, you know, the closer you can get to peace, the easier it is to, you know, kind of embrace the things that are available to you. And I did. Yeah, sounds like you did times 100. So how does that that was your last (laughs) that was your last experience. So how did that shape now? I mean, I'm sure that you still struggle with ups and downs. I mean, you and I have talked about it. It's been a rough few years over this whole transition for us. But, you know, that was your last turn. So something must have happened. Um, I think I just changed a lot of my, uh, and I think I probably said this on Instagram, you know, I changed, I changed my, the members on my team. Um, so, you know, like the, you know, everyone is, you know, your own, you're the captain of your own Avengers team. Um, and mm-hmm. so that process, you know, I started to replace some of the members on my team or leave certain, you know, vacancies vacant until I had the right fit. You know, I think for me, that's kind of, I love that. 2016 is where I, I started to, you know, pivot and I was like, okay, so I need this type of, you know, personality in this role. I need this skill set in this role. Um, so from then to now it sucks. And, you know, you kind of, you know, you know, this better than most where the person on your team that you want to rely on the most is not the person that's going to take you to where you're trying to get to. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about this, you know, during the NBA playoffs and, you know, LeBron is getting so much praise. And also, you know, there's always critics out there and, you know, certain people, you want them to have, you know, a killer instinct, you know, you want them to be able to trust them, you know, but what if that's not their skill set? You know, what if that's not what they can do for you? What if they're not the shoulder to cry on? What if they're not the safety net? What if they're not the person that says the right thing to motivate you, but you have them in a, you know, an important position? Like, what do you do? You know, do you have what it takes to be honest with them and yourself? And that's kind of what I found along the way. And, you know, sitting here now, I'm in a place where, the team that I, you know, when I look around my life and I look about, you know, the woman that I'm with and, you know, the friends I talk to throughout the day and, you know, that, you know, when you look at your text messages, those top six people in your thread are normally, you know, that's your team, you know, and those are the people that, you know, you're going to ride to the, you know, the end of the road with. And I feel like now the team around me, you know, we just have to get our chemistry going, you know, that you are ideally you want to look like, you know, the, the, the Harlem Globetrotters where everything seems so effortless the way they, you know, it's like a, it's, it really is a show and an experience. Yeah. Right. You know, and you want that for your team, but that takes time. Um, so now that I feel like I've, I've built the right team, you know, it's, you know, the next, you know, I say every seven years, you kind of go through a transition. So the next seven years are growing the chemistry with this team. Um, so it's, it's exciting. You know, this has been a rough year for everyone and, Everyone's gone through their own, you know, transformation trials and tribulations. Like. Yeah, that's that's the word for it. And it's you know, mine if I've dealt with more loss this year alone um than any other year of my life. You know, sixteen, you know, twenty sixteen was the first year I'd ever lost someone that was, you know, close. You know, my mother was the first person where I was just like, Oof, I'm crying at the funeral. You know, I would go to funerals, you know, yeah. I come from a big family, so I've been to a lot of funerals, but, you know, I was never emotional. They never hit me. I never felt it, you know, so to lose, you know, my biggest fan and that be the first one, you know, I was anticipating her helping me through it. You know, you're not expecting, you know, that person to be gone. So um, this year, you know, I lost a mentor, you know, I lost a neighbor. Um, I lost my grandma. You know, I lost someone that, you know, I consider a brother, you know, just a couple weeks ago. Um, so it's, it's been a year of, you know, it's kind of like all the lessons you learned, you know, can you build upon those? You know, it's one thing to pass that test, but can you stack that knowledge with the new knowledge, with the new information that you learned in the process? So um, I haven't even had a tickling of those, you know, suicidal feelings or, um, you know, like I said, you get that, you get that, hey, you got 10 minutes before you have a serious problem. I haven't had that, that spidey sense you know, feeling of panic um, since then. And even with everything that happened this year, um, I feel good about the team because the team reminds me that I built this team 
to help not go to those places and to, you know, to experience these ups and downs and losses, you know, all through COVID um, to not even, you know, feel a tickling of that feeling. It's like, oof, I built the right team. That's awesome. And it, you know, it, it reinvigorates you to, you know, to, you know, thank them, to thank them for, you know, for playing their roles and, you know, doing the things they do to help me stay out of that place and, you know, to really empower them as much as I can, because it's them being who they are that lets me be who I am. And it, you know, it keeps us all going. And so to be here, this is like a, it's like almost like a, a check, you know, a kind of, you see those marathons, they have those little checkpoints where the runners can run in place and get the water. This is kind of that moment for me where it's just like, you know, the race is far from finished. We're, you know, ready to start the next leg, but the team that got us here, you know, we built that, we did that. And it feels really good. I love that. And I think that there's so many of us that have those teams. In fact, a lot of people probably just don't have that realization in real time of what that is because you don't realize how much you rely on people around you and you need to build this group of people to kind of have that. Only if you've had that near-death moment and experience do you maybe realize that more, I think. I know I see... Um, I look I, when I have something funny to send to somebody that's dark and only me um, and it's a lot of people won't understand it. I have a group of like four different people that I will send the same thing to and they all are just like, Ugh. like, you know what I mean? And I'm anybody else. Then they're going to be like, we need to check on Mary Angela more often. You know what I mean? But instead these people get me and the, you know what I mean? But like you said, it's that team of people that is helping, you know what I mean? Um, I love that story. And I love that you have found this team of people. You're, I mean, I'm so glad that you called your cousin that day. And she and I, um, you know, we joke and I tell her all the time, she's the sister I never asked for, you know, the older sister. Um, Cause she, do, she does what older sisters do. You know, she, she pisses you off and then, you know, she breaks your stuff and then she's there to pick you up after school and she's already got your favorite thing from the store, you know, to eat. So we have an up and down relationship, but uh, we have certain moments that uh, we wouldn't trade in that we've shared with one another. So, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for her as well. So, you know, I'm going to ask you to send me after we're done here, uh, that suicide picture. I want to see it. Yeah. And I'm just like, all right. So I'm thinking, I was like, didn't it just happen? Okay. So it's got to be August. I'll have to look through the August folder in my photos, you know, and find it. And I'll, uh, I, see. I cannot, you're the first person I've ever heard that's done that. So I'm here for it. I want, I think it's amazing. Well, I feel I've, like we I can think, talk. Go ahead. No, that, that photo is kind of, um, it's a badge of honor. I feel like, because I yes. think when I, when that week first ended, um, and, you know, news kind of broke about where I was, you know, various members of my family, you know, reacted differently. You know, as I'm sure you know, like there are certain parts of your family that are just like every time you see them, you know, after that, they just kind of look at you like, oh, I don't even know if I can hug you. Like, how fragile are you right now? And then, you know, so I, I anticipated that. Um, so I'm glad I took the photo and I posted the photo on my Facebook and you know, I kind of gave a condensed version of what happened and where I was for the week because, you know, my cell phone is full of, you know, worried messages, angry messages, tearful messages, angry voicemails from my mother, um, confused voicemails from my father, um, you know, just a, a million different things. So, you know, I took the selfie and I put it up and I, you know, put a condensed version of what happened. And uh, one of my mentors, you know, she reached out to me. She said, you know, you never cease to amaze me. Um, you know, you would take a situation that most people would hide and buried and you immediately ran like headfirst into it to try to help someone else. Like, who are you? Um, so I'm really like, that's how I feel about that photo. So, you know, I kind of pride myself on being aware of the moment, you know, like, you know, I told you like when we first, you know, started kind of developing a relationship on top of me wanting to be a face in the project. I was like, you got to teach me more about photography because you know, I pride myself on understanding moments and how to capture them. And, you know, I'm not a great technical photographer, but I understand the moment where I will stop everything. Everything stop, 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 stop. We need to take a picture of this right now. And, you know, even in that space, I was like, I'm, I'm about to lose my phone. I need to take a picture of this on, on both ends. I know I'm going to have pictures on the back end, yes. um, but I, I want a picture on the front end. 
and my cousin didn't understand it. And every time I, you know, I repost that photo, she's just like, "Cause I can't believe you had the presence of mind to take this." So I, you know, it's, it's definitely one of my one of my favorite photos um, that I've taken over over the course of you know the past few years. Well, this means A, you have to show me the photo. B, you have to add me on Facebook. <laughs> C, you have to show me that post. Like all of these things I feel like I need to see now, clearly. I got to dig the post up. I got to dig the post. It shouldn't be too bad because it was it's it was not that long ago. Um, I think I got to reactivate my Facebook. You know, I think I took a break from it, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll dig it up and I'll share it with you. Okay. Okay. You can share it with me. Well, I feel like we're coming close to our two hours. Um, I could talk to you for hours, though. I feel like we have another leg of this to go with your photos. <laughs> I wanted to keep, I want to make sure and keep some stuff for your photos because that's how I get the photos that I get. Like you said, I'm a not a technical photographer. I look for moments. And so right. um, that's how I take my pictures. And um, so I'm excited to continue this going. But I'm so grateful that you um, were down to do this with me because I think that it's, I know that it's not, it's not what we all experienced or wanted to experience with this, but you know, we're taking our pivots as they come with this fucking pandemic and world that we're in now. And I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your story and your courage to share it. And I think that both of us together with this story and this episode are going to help other people. Oh yeah. I'm, as we're doing this like live, like moment to moment, I'm, you know, honestly, I'm locked in and I'm engaged. But then the other council of Etons are in the back and they're watching the live footage and they're like, dude, do you know how crazy this is going to be when like everyone watches this? Like, this is going to be one of those videos that like people are like, I want to be next. I want to be next. I want to be next. Because I think Good. that, you know, it's when people, when you link two people together, there's always going to be a natural energy that's created and the energy will take on its own characteristics so like for you and i i can't i can't see how anyone watching this who's been through kind of some of these trials are going to be like oh i know that feeling or they'll have a question you know or they'll be it it opens the app you know so many different channels of ideas and topics and i'm like oof right how are we going to capitalize on this momentum to like reach more people like my mind's already starting to work on like okay so how can we how can we take this to the next level? I'm just like, relax, but it's so exciting. It's so exciting, you know, that <laughs> don't who relax. Knew that it would be relax. Like, you know me. I'm always thinking like this. Right. And it's just like, oh, all right. So the next time we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this. I was like, one day at a time, one day at a time. It took so long to get here, but it is exciting to finally kind of, you know, get breathe life into something we've been talking about for, you know, like I said, almost close to three years now three years and you know, don't think that this is done because not only do I have to take your pictures, but I'm already planning a whole town hall conversation around race, around having white friends, how like, don't yeah. think my wheels are not turning about your best friend. Cause I'm around that. So we're going to, it's going to be a whole other conversation that we're going to build. Oh, it's going to be exciting. Well, thank you again for your time. And um, we have a lot more to talk about offline, I'm sure. We'll let people just guess and um, we'll keep going. But um, until then, please take care. And um, we will look forward to doing pictures next. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. You too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes. I want to invite you to join us to continue this conversation online where there's an incredible organic community that's always ready to welcome you. You can find links to all of the social media platforms connected to this movement at my website, mariangelaabeo.com. If you have an idea for a topic or a guest you'd like to see on the podcast, please shoot me an email. Or if you'd like to apply to be a face in the Faces of Fortitude project, or maybe you want to discuss having a part of this movement in a city near you, please visit the website contact page and I look forward to connecting with you. And until next time, please take care of yourselves and those around you. And by that, I mean, wash your damn hands, wear a fucking mask, defund the police, and continue fighting for the rights of black lives everywhere, especially black trans lives. And do your part 
to abolish all forms of systemic racism. I'll see you next time.